God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. It's a reality that the mind of God is something entirely above us. All of us are confined to our own experience of life, our, for our particular place, our particular time, and we can, we can experience others in some way by, you know, having them tell us about it or hearing, you know, seeing, you know, uh, videos on the internet or these kinds of things where we can experience something in someone else's life. But it's the Lord God who is able to see all things at all places from every vantage point at all times simultaneously. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. The view that he has of this world is entirely different from ours. It's important for us to remember that. Sometimes we can project our view of of things upon the Lord. Our experience sometimes of of who is God is more more a a depiction of, of who is our family when we were growing up, or what kind of image did they have of God, rather than who is God himself. Oftentimes, a view will be had of God as a, a sort of God who is, who is up there in the sky and, you know, kind of a, a vengeful God, an angry God, the God of the Old Testament, as people like to refer, you know, according, according to the Old Testament, uh, uh, to a, a cursory glance, at the reading at least, uh, it seems that he's always vengeful. He's just ready to wipe people out wholesale, just, just kill them all and move on with life, right? The God that can be an angry God, we think, that he's just up in the, up in the sky kind of, kind of keeping track of things. Or sometimes we, we perceive God as, as a very judgmental God, a very kind of temperamental God, where he's just kind of getting up there, he's, and he's watching us go through life, and any time we fall short of sin, he just kind of shakes his head and goes, if only they'd get their act together, I would love them more. Sometimes people have these ideas of the Lord in their mind, and this is a great travesty, because this is not at all how the Lord God is, nor how he views us. As proof of these things, we have the readings that are given to us today in the sacred scriptures. The love of God is manifest to us very clearly in our readings today. Our first reading from Exodus. How the people of God, the people of Israel, they're wandering, they're straying. They've fallen into idolatry, worshiping a calf and saying, this is the God that has led you out of Egypt. This is the God that has saved you falling down before the idols of their own hands, going into depravity, falling into the sins of the world, the flesh, giving themselves over to these things. And yet, the Lord God is patient with them. I'm struck by the, the first line of the Lord God, and he says, you know, Mo, Mo, he's speaking to Moses, and he says, uh, Moses, your people, your people are going astray. And we can hear that in one of two ways. Again, we can project something onto God. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, I've seen it on TV, but also seen it in person, where sometimes you'll be at someone's house and, you know, the, the kids are being a little wild animals and, uh, and, and one of the spouses will look to the other and kind of go, your children are being crazy over here, right? Your children, not mine. <laughs> I, they didn't get that from me, right? Where we're good, right? My side's, my side's all good. Your kids, however, right? And kind of point, point in that direction. And it can, you know, if we, with that idea of kind of, of God separating himself from us in that sense, of how God's kind of looking at Moses going, uh, Moses, your people, you need to, you need to tend to them. You know, not, not my thing, right? This isn't it at all. And we see it by the end of, by the, end of the, the passage that we find. It's the Lord God who, who bestows upon Moses a certain ministry, a priestly ministry, in fact, to, it seems, even though he's not exactly a priest. 
But it's a ministry like that of a priest today. Because a priest today in the life of the church, he's a representative in both directions. It is my part to act in persona Christi Capitis, in the person of Christ the head, to be able to minister to the church. But it's also the task of the priest to go to the Lord in nomine ecclesiae, in the name of the church. So the priest is, is the one who, who intercedes for the church on behalf of the people, bringing their needs to the Lord, and by the, on behalf of the Lord, bringing his graces to the people. And this is what Moses is doing. Moses is interceding for them. The Lord God is calling to, calling to mind, saying, Moses, the people that I've entrusted to your care, they're following astray. They're wandering off. And so Moses, he goes, and he, you know, intercedes for them, prays for them to call them back. And they come back. And the Lord has mercy. The Lord receives them, and he renews his promises to them. The promises of the land and the nation that would be theirs. Wondrous promises. Promises of immense blessing. It shows that the Lord God is patient with us, that he is not ready simply to, ready to strike us down or to condemn and to, to, to cast us off or separate himself from us. He is mindful of us. To this we have also added the image of St. Paul. St. Paul in our second reading who writes to Timothy speaks, speaks of the immense mercy of God that has been bestowed upon himself. It is Paul who recognizes, I was a blasphemer. They may not seem always such a, a terrible thing today. Our, our society today is so, so full of blasphemy that it's just kind of normal fare. It's a regular commercial for toothpaste, it might as well seem. But blasphemy is a serious offense against the Lord. And St. Paul understood this, and, and he, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a hater of the body of Christ, who would bloodthirst, sought to kill. This was his state. And yet, he says, the Lord showed his mercy to me, and he has called me to be an apostle. But it's Paul who goes forth and, and, then, and then continues, and he says, it's on account of these things that I am now an example of hope for all. Because if anybody can be saved, if, if I can be saved in so many words, anybody can be. If there was hope for me and for my conversion, there's hope for anybody. This is what St. Paul is speaking to us. To this, of course, we have, must add the stories of the gospel where our Lord speaks explicitly to us of the mercy that is found within the heart of God. The woman who searches and seeks to find the coin, who goes through great costs of time and effort, burning her oil, simply to be able to find it. And when she finds it, calls together everyone to rejoice, to rejoice in the thing that had been lost but has been found. So much also the shepherd with the sheep, leaving the 99 to simply go off and to find the one that had strayed. It's a foolish thing to some degree. I mean, 1% is not a bad percentage lost. You know, if you leave your sheep unattended, you might come back and find you have 90 sheep now. But he's willing to leave them, trusting that they were in good shape, that they would be cared for, to be able to go seek to save the one rather than simply cut his losses and move on. And he rejoices when he finds it. He carries it back on himself. He takes an extra burden upon himself to be able to bring it back. And he's filled with rejoicing. And of course, the beautiful story of the prodigal son the son who goes away and squanders his inheritance, essentially saying, oh, Father, I wish you were dead so I could have my portion of things and go enjoy my life. And so his father says, it's your wish. Let it be done. And he gives him all of his, all of his inheritance. He goes and he squanders it, nicely put, on a life of dissipation. 
He squanders it on sin. He uses up every last bit of it and finds himself tending to the swine, longing for their food. The swine are the worst of the worst. It's an offense for a Jewish person. They wouldn't even touch the things because they would be unclean. And he's longing for the food of the pigs that he cared for. In that place, he turns back and decides he's going to seek, he's going to seek some mercy. And in some sense, it would be, he's understanding that it would be immensely merciful if his father would just take him back as one of the hired hands. If his father, if his father saw him and said, you know what, I, you're not my son. I gave you a shot. I gave you everything. You wished me dead. We're done. That's done. I'll allow you to come back as a servant. That would have been immensely merciful according to the son's expectations. But the father, when he sees him, he runs to him. He embraces him, puts the, the ring on his finger, the, the, the cloak on him, slaughters the calf, and there's shouting and rejoicing and dancing because the one was dead and he's alive. He's lost and has been found. It's this that happens with us, every last one of us. All of us are sinners. All of us are the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. We are the ones who, on account of our sin, are dead. But on account of Christ, we can live again. There can be life within us. There can be renewal of hope for a life in the world to come. And this is a tremendous joy. And this is how the Lord God views us. That every single one of us, that there is never a cost that is too high that he will not pay it. And has not already, in fact, paid it. He will do whatever is necessary to save every last one of us if we are willing to be saved. That he himself will never give up on us. There will never come a point where he says, you know, I tried, I tried enough. You're done. You're on your own. Good luck. There will never come a point. It's the reality that we must understand this, the depth of the love of God for sinners. Christ came to save sinners. This is what St. Paul tells us. He came to save sinners. That was the only reason. He came to save us, to give us a pathway to be able to draw back into the heart of God. It's for us to understand this, to be able to know something of the depth of the love of God for every last one of us. Because again, sometimes we can compare ourselves against others and come up short. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we see our insufficiencies, we see our sins, we see the frequency of our sin, we see that our, our list for things of confession doesn't seem to change too frequently. And it can be a great discouragement upon us and we cast judgment upon ourselves. And St. Paul would caution us strongly against such. Elsewhere in the scripture, St. Paul writing to one of the communities, he writes about the fact that he says that, it, that, he says that I, I, do not, uh, I don't have anything on my conscience, but it doesn't mean I'm not guilty. <laughs> He says, I don't even know the, all the convictions in my heart. I don't even know what's happening in my mind and in my heart sometimes. I'm a mystery even to myself in so many words. I can't even judge myself, much less those who are around me. We cannot even judge ourselves, St. Paul reminds us. It is not to cast judgment in any direction, but rather in all things to submit ourselves to the Lord, knowing his love and his goodness that he will judge us. But the judge who judges us is also the man who out of love for us climbed on the cross and offered his life in our behalf. It is to know that his love for us is immense, never to be underestimated. 
And so it's first to us to receive this, to understand this love for ourselves, to have it sink deeply within us, but also it's to ensure that we are able to look at others with that same love. And this too can be a great difficulty. There are times in our life where we don't necessarily like another individual. And that's not always a, a sinful thing. Sometimes we just don't get along we, just because of personalities, our personality conflict. And, you know, it can just be kind of a, a different thing. You know, sometimes there's a, a variety of things that, um, that may cause some kind of friction in a relationship or whatnot. Or you just simply don't enjoy being around a particular person. Okay. But the Lord calls every one of us to be able to love one another. To love one another, especially as He has loved us with that immense love with that goodness. It's a sad thing that has unfortunately often been the case that sometimes we even as Catholics, we who, who love our Lord, or at least we claim to, and desire to live the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, or to receive of the mercy of the Lord, how easily can happen to cast judgments upon a brother or sister around us. Sometimes we are become like the scribes of the Pharisees where we simply see another person and compare ourselves to them and we, we deem ourselves better and they worse. It's a judgment. And it's something that we must set aside. The same as we must set aside judgment of our own innocence or our own guilt. But also it's for us to recognize that the Lord has hope for every last person around us. Reminded today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And how in so many hearts, the days and the years afterwards were an immense animosity towards anyone of the Muslim faith. And the reality is, there are many Christians, many Catholics, who are called to, to show forth the love of Christ, who wished violence and death upon individuals. This is not the mind of God. This is not how Jesus views anyone. It happens continually even in our own day as we see the, you know, the, so much the, the things of our society and our political system, whether someone of the, the opposing party, someone uh, you know, maybe who's, who's pro-abortion, someone who's in the, the LGBTQ plus whatever, you know, uh, you know, the kind of you know, trumpeting their, their theology or their, their ideologies and things. And how many times good Catholic individuals can wish violence upon a person, wish them death, even the Holy Father himself. This is not the love of Jesus. If that was how Jesus loved us, <laughs> we'd all be toast. It's to love as we have been loved by him. And it's a challenging thing, a difficult thing, and it calls us to an immense faith and immense hope and a willingness to actually suffer, because that's what love really is. The fact is that there are countless St. Pauls out there in the world right now. There are numerous individuals who are contrary to the faith, who persecute the church, who hate Jesus Christ, who persecute the body, who persecute all that is good and true and holy in so many ways. It's not for us to wish judgment upon them. It's not for us to wish violence upon them, that they cease to be, that they cease to exist, to wish ill. It is for us to pray for their conversion. Because when they change, when they are converted, how much alike they are to the world. I've heard more about Shia LaBeouf in the last two weeks than the entirety of my life. 
because the young man converted to the Catholic faith. He converted, he was, he was someone who was very much contrary to the Catholic faith, and yet just about every post that I've seen, for, or just about every person that I've seen on Facebook the last couple of weeks has posted something about him. Seeing his witness of faith, seeing the things that he has said, encouraging posts or videos or, or memes, or all these kinds of things, because one man converted to the faith. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the joy that he rejoices in. This is the joy of, of seeing one who is lost, and thanks be to God, has been found. And we can celebrate it, and we can trumpet it from the rooftops, the goodness of God, the goodness of the faith, the joy that we share with him. It's for us to wish this for every soul, never to, never to have a, a hopeless sense in which someone is simply lost to us, that there's no hope for them, that they are too far gone, that they're one of those who simply won't be saved. This is never for us, but it's always for us in this life. When there is anything that might separate us from another person, it is to be able to pray for them, to offer sacrifice and mortification for them, to fast for them, and to know that in all things, there is always hope in the Lord. And if we are willing, that hope can abide within our hearts, and His love can abide there too. May God grant us the grace today to receive that faith, that hope, and that charity within our own hearts to be able to place our trust in Him, that we might be able to love every person around us, those that we like and those that we don't, those with whom we agree and those with whom we don't, to love every last one as Jesus Christ has loved us for the glory of God and His kingdom.